Here we are in this series, Becoming, Becoming More Like Christ, and it's curious to me that the only question the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them something was about the subject of prayer. That's the only time. You go through all the Gospels, the only question they ever asked is, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the only question they asked Jesus to teach them something about. And I don't know about you, but I, I find in my own life, I've struggled in my, my prayer life. Um, uh, sometimes we just don't know what to say. We don't know what words to bring. We don't know if we're praying the way Jesus taught us to pray. And Jesus had a lot to say about that. He said, this is how you should pray. And then he said, this is how you shouldn't pray. He gives very clear instructions about that. And you remember the beautiful prayer that he gave his disciples as a model. The, the, we call the disciples, or we call the, the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. So out of each phrase of that prayer is a model for how we should be praying in our lives. So we put together this little 30-day podcast, and I want to give a couple clear instructions about this because after each service, people have been asking questions. I think we kind of cover right here. But here's how you do it. First of all, you can go to your uh, app. If you have a Three Crosses app, it's right there on the front page. You can press that and then simply subscribe to the 30-day prayer journey. If you're on our webpage, you can just look on the webpage. Down toward the bottom, there's events and things going on, and there's a pray uh, picture there as well, and you can just simply click on the subscribe tab there. They'll, we'll ask for your email, and what happens is this. As soon as you subscribe to it, every day for 30 days, you'll get, and some of you are doing it right now. I can see you're on your, you know, tab. I love that. Do it. Sign up right now. Do it now, because it'll be closed in a minute. No, and it's going to stay open. Um, so you sign up, and as soon as you sign up, then you'll be in the queue for every day receiving this little podcast. It's an eight to 10, a couple of them are a little longer, 11, 12 minutes, they're re really short, of just me kind of doing an audible devotion out of the Lord's Prayer, and then a little exercise of prayer right in the midst of it, where we just say, I, I would just encourage you to pray a certain way about what we're talking about, and for 30 days you'll do that. And here's the, the goal of this thing is so that out of those 30 days, we're gonna be a people that depend more on God, trust more God, bring more to God in our prayer life, and we'll be praying the way Jesus wants us to pray. That's really the goal. Now, listen carefully. You don't have to start it today. You don't have to start it this week. If you wanna put it as one of your Lenten exercises during the season of Lent, you could start on Wednesday if you wanna do that. It's not tied to Lent, it's just about prayer. And whenever you start it, it goes 30 days. If you miss a day, you can just pick up on the next day, right? So you won't miss anything. It might take you 32 days, 35 days, 40 days. Let's pray it won't happen 60 days for you. But maybe it will. I, I'm just don't be legalistic about it, but get in the queue and go through this process. It takes about 30 days to get a new habit going in your life. And so if you'll do it, if you'll really work at doing it daily, it'll be a real blessing to you. I really believe it will. And give us feedback. Let us know how it's connecting with you. Um, you can start at any time. This is going to be our on-ramp for getting people on board with our prayer movement here at Three Crosses. So you can start it in June if you want it, or next October if you want it. You, but don't wait. Get on it. Do it. Be a part of it. Share it with family, friends. Get it around on your social media if you want to do that. And that would be awesome, okay? All right? You excited about that? Good. Okay, good. Five of you are. Good. Okay, I, I like that. All right. Let's get into the sermon. I like pie. Do you like pie? I like eating pie. Uh, favorite pies. My mom made an amazing cherry pie growing up. I just love cherry pie. Uh, summertime, apples. I love apple pie with a little ice cream a la mode. Are, are we talking, right? It's good. Uh, holiday time, pumpkin pie, little whipped cream on top. I like that too. 
A banana cream? Anybody like banana cream pie here? How about coconut cream? Anybody there? I love coconut cream. Wow, that's good stuff too. Uh, one of our pastors, you maybe didn't know this, Pastor Mark Tyler, he makes an amazing key lime pie. I've been a recipient of that a few times. Pie is great. I like eating pie. But there's one kind of pie I don't like eating. You know what kind it is? Humble pie. You got it. You saw that coming, didn't you? Man, I set you up for that. Yes. Humble pie. And by the way, I bet a lot of you know where I was going with that, but you don't know where humble pie comes from, I'll bet you. If you do a little research, humble pie comes from back around 1,000 A.D. or so uh, when people made pastries and they chopped up the umble of an animal. The umbles of an animal are the kidneys, the heart, the, you know, the umbles, the insides, the innards. That was called umble pie, U-M-B-L-E, pie. And of course, over time, you know, who wants to eat humble pie when you could eat the meat of the animal that you're eating? But it was the lowly people, the people that didn't have much that would always eat the humble pie. So somehow our word humble, very much like humble, although they have no connection whatsoever, became sort of an idiom or a metaphor for eating humble pie, okay? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that amazing? All right, so I, I've become, you know, I've actually eaten a lot of humble pie in my life. I mean, I, I've got too many stories for this, but I'll, I'll share with you one. I was a youth pastor here at Three Crosses. We had an all-night party, and part of the all-night party was going to a racquetball uh, place. A couple hours, we rented the whole place out down here in Hayward. We had 100 students or so. And we go in there, and we're playing racquetball. And I noticed as a kid, looks like he's about 14 or so, he was not with us. He was there when we arrived, and he was just sitting there playing some video games. And I was trying to engage him, trying to get him to connect with other high school students, trying to get to know him myself, and he just wasn't biting on anything. And finally I said, dude, man, we're in a racquetball place. Why don't you play some racquetball with somebody? And he said to me, there's nobody here that could you know, bring me any competition. I go, well, hey, I'll play you. I'm 25, I like racquetball. I think I'm a pretty good racquetball player. I say, I'll play you. And he goes, nah, I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> what? You don't realize you're talking to an egotistical youth pastor right now. So I said, you get on the court. So I throw, throw down this big challenge. And so he, he gave in. He goes, okay, you know, let's go. So he chose the court. It was the court in the place where everybody could watch. It was the glass back, you know, the seating, stadium seating up on top, you know. And my wife was there. The whole youth group was there. And they had heard about this big challenge, throwdown. And so they're all, everybody's watching this game. And I walk out and I, you know, say, okay. You know, he says, you want to serve or you want to let me serve? I go, you know, whatever, whatever you want. I'm going to beat you anyway. You know, I'm thinking... He's all, he's all, in fact, you know what? I'm going to give you 18 points. You played a 21 by ones. I'm going to give you 18 points. I go, oh, who is this guy? You know, like, so I go, give me the ball, you know. So it's 18 to 1, 18 to 2, 18 to 3, 18 to 4, 18 to 5, 18 to 6, 18 to You know where this is going? He beat me 21 to 18 in that game. I found out afterwards, he was a nationally ranked racquetball player. So the, the, the thing is, now I did some humble, um, humble pie, humble pie. Uh, you know, as, as the game went on, you know, kids were just walking away in shame, you know. <laughs> My wife wasn't even the last one to leave. She left around point twelve, you know, something like that. <laughs> But here's the funny thing, you know, all my life, this is one story, I got a bunch of them, but all my life, whenever I'm getting a little puffed up, you know, around my house or something, my wife has one word. She just goes, racquetball. <laughs> racquetball. 
Now, learning, we're learning in this series to become more like Jesus. And like Danny said, it's not pretending to be like Jesus. We could have called this pretending because <laughs> that's what a lot of us do, pretend to be like Jesus. No, Jesus wants us to become like him, actually become like him. And let's go on record. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have come to trust in Christ as your Savior, you want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus, right? Everybody does. But we sometimes see a distance between what our desires are and what actually happens in our lives. Um, but let's go on record. Like if you're thinking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, we just need to put it out there. Like if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you should be coming more like Christ every day. First John chapter two, let's just put some scripture. This is not the sermon text. We'll get to the sermon text here in a minute. But First John 2, five says, this is how we know we are in him. This is John writing. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. That's saying if you, if you claim to be in Jesus, you should become more like Jesus. Not pretend, not just act like, but you should, you should live like Jesus. Now, some of us are discouraged by that right away. And we think, oh man, you know, like I'm, I'm a country mile from being like Jesus. And we all are in various areas of our lives. But I want to give you an encouraging word from Romans 8, 29 that says, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. Now that's an amazing promise. This is one of the greatest promises in scripture to me because what that tells me is that God is more committed to making me like Jesus than sometimes I'm committed to making my life more like Jesus. He's on the job. And one of the ways he does that is by allowing us to get into situations where racquetball happens, where we sort of make boasts and we find out that we're not really all that. Happens in our workplace, happens in all avenues of life where we just get a little bit too big for our britches, so to speak, and God has to remind us. And in those moments where we're reminded that we're not all that, those are moments that we can be taught what it really means to be humble, how we embrace it, how we actually uh, take that in. And if we're honest, we're realizing that becoming isn't as easy as believing, like Pastor Danny said last week. We're learning that it's not always easy to line up our behavior with our beliefs. And the secret all, what is the secret? The secret that Danny said last week about becoming more like Jesus is spending time with Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And he gave a beautiful connection with the idea that, that, uh, that the idea of I become more like Jesus as I just stay with Jesus, as I remain with Jesus, as I hang out with Jesus, as I cling to Jesus in my life. And we're gonna see how important that is actually today. So let's go to our sermon text actually, Matthew chapter 11 please, if you're not there already. Matthew 11, and we're gonna look at just three verses here. There's a lot in the context which we don't have time to go into right now, but it's okay. I'm actually gonna come back to this in a couple of weeks when we talk about another attribute of Christ that we should become like as well. But here we're gonna focus in on this idea of humility. In verse 28 of chapter 11, look at this invitation Jesus gives. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. Did you notice the character qualities that Jesus says about himself there? He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I have to believe that one of the reasons why Jesus was so compelling, why people hung on every word, why people wanted to be around Jesus was because 
of many things, but two of those things have to be his gentleness and his humility. So different from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the superstars of the faith, as it were, that people are always talking down to people, people always correcting people, people always sort of being the, you know, uh, the police of the spiritual life. And Jesus was so free, so liberated. Around, being around Jesus, you got to the core issue. It wasn't like he didn't care about your life changing, but in coming to Christ, he worked on a change that was different from the way the Pharisees taught. It was an inside-out change. It was a transformational change. And you just couldn't help but to find rest. When you worked so hard for something, they only realized that you couldn't work to get what Jesus alone could offer. And what he offers us is rest. He offers us spiritual rest, beauty, a true comfort and peace in life. I love that about Jesus. I'm sure you do too. So let's, let's unpack a little bit. Well, here's what I'm going to do in the sermon. It's going to be really short uh, today. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm going to talk about gentleness and, and humility and what those words actually mean. And then we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about how we actually become those two things. So real simple, word study, little word picture first, and then how do we do it? Uh, let's talk about gentleness and humility. Right off the bat, I have to say we have a problem because I think most of us, myself included, through my Christian life, I've misunderstood the core issues of what gentleness and humility are about. We tend to misunderstand what these two terms mean. And what gets us kind of going in the wrong direction from the start is the old English word for both of these terms. If you're looking at a King James Bible, you're reading these words. When Jesus says in our NIV or whatever your version you're probably reading, uh, in the King James, it says, I am meek and lowly of heart. Now, the reason why those two words are not, you know, the best description is because they tend to, in our modern day, point to more weakness than they do strength. And when we think of someone being meek, we're not usually connected or attracted or compelled by that because we have a feeling that meek goes with the other word that reminds with, which rhymes with meek, which is what? Weak, yeah. And so weak, meekness is oftentimes looked at sort of as a weakness. If a person is meek, they obviously don't have strength. They sort of cower in the midst of trouble. They have no, no bravery in them. They have no courage. Uh, meek people are just sort of off on the sidelines or, or sort of like running from problems and not addressing things. But that's not at all what the word means. The word in the Greek language is uh, praus that, that uh, Jesus uses here. Uh, this is a word that is way different from anything that we would think of as being weak. Praus is a word that describes strength under control. Do you know it was used in the Greco-Roman culture when they were taking wild horses and training them for battle, the Greeks would take these horses, and if you've ever been around horses, you know that they are known for two things their self-will and their strength. That's what horses are about. And so it's the job of the horse trainer to actually break the horse, not break them of their strength, but to break them of their will. The horse has to come to a place where the horse is submissive to the rider. And we call that breaking a horse. But the Greeks called it praus. When the horse was strong and was fit for battle, but could be in submission to the rider, the horse was praus. And this is the way Jesus describes himself. So he's not saying he's weak. He's saying, I have incredible strength, but it's always under control. I have a friend named Steve who uh, 
was a heavy equipment operator. He was in construction. He could drive big tractors and stuff. And the incredible thing about him, and he's kind of retired now, but he still once in a while comes out of retirement to help people on jobs. He was so amazing with a backhoe. He could take a backhoe, all those huge things with the giant arms and the claw, and he could be working like within an inch from a building and he could be coming down. He was just so amazing with the delicateness of his control of that tractor or that backhoe. And that's Praus. Someone, the tractor was Praus. Now the tractor doesn't have a will, so to speak, but he was with his abilities being able to control this massive, strong kind of situation and, and putting it to good use. Have you ever known a gentle giant in your life? I don't know, I think of gentle giants and I have to admit that I, I think of uh, Fezzik on Princess Bride. That's how I think of a gentle giant. Uh, Andre the Giant played this role in this movie called Princess Bride. And I don't know if you know this, but Fezzik or Andre the Giant, he was seven feet four and he weighed 530 pounds. Now to give you a little perspective of that, Shaquille O'Neal is seven feet one and he weighs about 325 pounds. <laughs> Can you imagine a guy seven four and weighing over 500 pounds? Well, that was him and he was known for kind of being a gentle giant and I don't know anything really super personal about him, but when I think of him in Princess Bride, I think that's a gentle giant. I think of the animal kingdom, how giant strong animals, I think of a silver, silverback or is it silver, silverback ape gorilla, have you ever seen these guys? They're amazing. Hopefully you've never seen one in real life, but if you've seen them on documentaries, they're just giant. They have like an eight foot wingspan with their arms. They uh, weigh 400 pounds. They only stand about six feet tall, but they're just, they're huge. And when they're around their babies, and it's interesting, this is the only species in the animal kingdom, not the only, but one of the only, where the male is primarily responsible for raising the young. And here's this big, strong male silverback ape uh, and... Uh, and, and carrying around a little baby gorilla. Have you ever, it's just, I don't know, it kind of warms my heart. It's just this giant strong thing. Put them on the back and then just swing through the trees and just like always careful, always tenderly. This thing could crush me, could just bend me like a toothpick and break me in half. But he's so gentle where he needs to be gentle. This is Praus. I know I'm going way too long on this point, but I want you to understand that this is how Jesus is so amazing. He's not weak. He's not tepid. He's a, he's a God who has strength at his disposal. He can do anything he needs to do, but he shows gentleness in his strength. I love that about Jesus, and I'm so glad he's been gentle with me. He's been gentle with you. Uh, if you're looking for a key word to go with the idea of a gentleness, the word has to be submission. Gentleness is dependent upon the submission of the one who's to be gentle. And so the reason why Jesus was the ultimate example of gentleness is because he was always in submission to his heavenly father. Always in submission. Now let's talk about humility for just a minute. Humility is, is also uh, misunderstood because in the old English, we use the word lowly when we talk about humble people. And nobody likes to be considered like lowly. And we live in a, a very doggy dog world. We, we, you know, you usually don't put on your application if you're applying for a job, you know, like, well, one of the, my great traits are I'm humble. You know, you don't, you don't do that. You don't have like a, a business high-powered training session on how to become humble, you know. Uh, usually that's kind of looked at as a little bit of a weakness in the business world or even in other areas of, of, the, of our lives and business and work. But Jesus said, I am humble in heart. 
Gentleness is always the action that comes out of true humility, what's on the inside. And one of the things about humility that, that I learned when I think about this word, tapenos, which is the Greek word, it is a word that describes uh, uh, one who has an ultra dependency on another. In other words, the person is humble. They don't have to run to the front of the line. They don't have to navigate and get in front of somebody else because they're tapenos. They're, they're dependent on it just being what it needs to be in that moment. Um, if you find yourself to be one of those people that always have to you know, get ahead of the other guy and, or the other gal and you're always trying to work your way up the ladder and that kind of thing because you're afraid you're gonna get cut out from underneath you and all that, um, it's, chances are you're not really a person who's known for humility. Because humility is the characteristic that says, you know, I don't, have to, I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to promote who I am. I don't have to run and jump through hoops. And by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, look for ways to promote yourself, promote in business or, you know, go up the ladder of responsibility and what you're doing. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there's some people have this, this obvious pronation to always want to be on top and better than everybody else. And you've been around those kind of people and those kind of people are hard to be around, Right? They kind of wear us out because they're always saying what great things they've done and, and it's always kind of in a way that makes you feel bad about who you are. But then there's the other side where if a person can't be better than other people, then they kind of take a self-loathing position. They're always saying how bad they are. Oh, I never measure up. I'm terrible. I never do well. And if you've ever been around those kind of people, those are really hard people to be around too because those people, watch this, those people are just as focused on self as the person who's always putting themselves over others. It's just the other way. If I can't get it positively, maybe I'll try it negatively. And so I just kind of always say how bad I am and I never, I never succeed, I'm a failure, I'm a terrible failure. And you think that that's kind of a way of being humble. That's not being humble, that's just being self in reverse. It's self that is just kind of going another route to get the attention. The thing about humility, to painos, the thing about this, little word in this concept in, in, in uh, the scripture, is that it is basically selfless. There's no concentration of self. It's not self being over someone, and it's not self being under someone. It's just kind of a non-self experience. We're unconscious of ourself. And that's the beauty of Jesus' life. And that's why he typifies humility so well because Jesus didn't have to puff himself up and he certainly didn't walk around saying how, what a miserable failure he was. He was just sort of unconscious of the self he had. And that's what made him so winsome. And we find this in Philippians 2, by the way, where it says um, that we should have the mind of Christ, 2, verse 6 through 11, right in there. We should have the mind of Christ who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, right? But taking on the form, but humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus typified both gentleness and humility because Jesus was submissive always to the Father, and watch this, dependent on the Father. Just like submission is the key to gentleness, so dependency is the key to humility. And if you don't, if you don't get those two things in your life, you'll never really experience the depth of what gentleness and humility is really about. You've got to learn how to be submissive, and you've got to learn how to depend on someone other than yourself. Now, here's where it gets good. You ready to turn the switch? Let's talk about how this happens in our lives. This is 
Awesome. How it happens in our lives, we need four things. Number one, we need a relationship with the living God. Now the reason why I say this is because until or unless you have a relationship with the living God, you and I are rebels and self-sufficient in every way. You can mask it, you can parade around in religious tone and all the rest, but until we surrender our lives to the one who loved us by dying on the cross and giving us eternal life through faith in him, until we come to that point in our lives, <laughs> we are rebels. We shake our fist at God. We do it passively, we do it quietly, but we do it. We are, we are at enmity. We think of God as, there's no way you're gonna have your way in my life. And we resist, we resist, we resist. And then we're also self-sufficient. We're gonna build our own lives. We don't need God, and that's one of the reasons why the gospel is a hard sell in a way in a culture like ours that is so affluent, we don't see that our need is to depend on him. So sometimes God takes out sort of the, you know, the building blocks a little bit so we see our need. And it's funny how, you know, the old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. You know, when you realize that the bullets are coming and that your life is in jeopardy, that's where we sort of open up and we kind of depend on God. And that's why I say to you, there's no way to experience truce, uh, gentleness, and and true humility until you've bowed your knee to the one who loves you enough to give his life for you. And maybe that's you today. In the furthest seat in the auditorium or right down here in the front, if you've never come to that place of opening your life to Jesus Christ and receiving him, today could be the day. Today you could trust in Christ. And the beautiful thing is it's not rules to keep, it's not a religiosity. And, and that's why Jesus said, in the con here's a little window into the context, when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, he's talking to the people who are so burdened by the rule of religion in their lives. And he's saying, you wanna get free? Come to me. You wanna breathe? Come to me. You wanna find life? Come to me. Oh, I'm so grateful that Jesus makes it so clear. We just come to him. So that's the first, we need a relationship with God. And I know that's, very basic, but that's where it starts. You don't start there, you're not in the shoot. It's not, you can pretend, you can pretend gener, uh, gentleness, you can pretend humility, but you'll never truly be gentle, you'll never truly be humble until you trust in Christ. Number two, you need to see this as a process. A process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, I, I hear Danny talk about how humble I am and I think, oh my goodness, Lord, forgive that man, you know. <laughs> He knows not what he says, you know. And I, and I mean that because I know who I am. And here's the deal. I say, Lord, forgive Danny for saying that. And Lord, forgive me for enjoying it so much. You know, it's, a, it's like we are, we are this, is, this is the problem with our, you know, humility. We, we, we tend to kind of jump in and out. It's a process. But the beautiful thing about it is we get to practice. And so when, here's the, my little thing. And I, and I don't do this all the time, um, but I, I intentionally... Ask the Lord, Lord, when I'm in a humiliating situation, let me drink it down to the dregs as opposed to deferring and deflecting and saying, you know, not my fault. Um, a little example of this, which again, it sounds maybe false humble to say it, but I, I have to try to put some reality on this. So I'm in conversation in an email with someone in our church about their spiritual journey and I'm trying to get them to understand something and I don't think they're getting it very well. And you know how email, email is a terrible way to communicate, by the way. 
But since there's a lot of you and it's kind of hard to always meet one-on-one with somebody, and I, I enjoy the one-on-one, but I just don't have time to meet with everybody, I do a lot of email stuff. And so I'm trying to help this person through. And I, I bump into this person. I never even met them before. And I bump into them. They introduce themselves. Oh, you're so-and-so. And, they, and I'm thinking they're going to say, man, that really helped me out what you share with me. And they, they said, you know, I have to just say before we get going here, I, I really felt like you were harsh in your tone and I, I didn't feel like you really heard my heart and, and it, it really hurt me. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> I, honestly, I was thinking I felt like I was being so gracious and all this stuff. And, I, and in my heart, I wanted to say, but you don't understand. I was, you know, and I, I even actually started into a little bit of defense and then the Holy Spirit said, Stop, you know. Why don't you just embrace this? Okay, I'm so sorry. I said it that way. How can we, how can we work at it from here? And it was beautiful. It ended up to be a beautiful thing. Uh, this person I, I now consider just a very dear person in my life. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you felt somebody really wronged you and you told them about it and they said these words? They said, I'm sorry you felt that way. That's not an apology. <laughs> That's like a way of saying, that's on you. It's too bad about you. I wasn't bad. You're the one that's, you know. So a little, a little like opportunity. When, when you, in that moment where someone's challenging you and you feel like they've taken it wrong, it doesn't mean you can't express what you are trying to do, but try to drink it down. Try to say, wow, okay. How do we make this better? I think that's, a little bit of the edge of depending on God to fix stuff that we can't fix ourselves. That can happen in your family. That can happen in your personal relationships at work. Just depend on God to straighten out some of that stuff that you can't straighten out. We need to see it as a process. Uh, what's the third? The third thing is we need to see this as uh, we, need, we need to spend time with Jesus himself. We need to just, and Danny said it last week, and I loved it. Jesus is the future. He's the way to the future God has for us. That was so powerful. Jesus is the way to the future God has for us. So if you're trying to learn gentleness and humility, you just hang out with Jesus more. How do you do that? Well, you do it in his word. You do it in prayer. Just hang out with him. Talk with him. Have a dialogue with him throughout the day. Don't have a little podcast prayer moment. Let that be a beginning for like an all-day conversation with the Lord. And you kind of go in and out of it, as I do too. But just see it that way. Spending time with Jesus himself. Jesus wants to help us to be more gentle and more humble. And by the way, there's other things about Jesus he wants us to be too. He wants us to be discerning. He wants us to be bold. And many other things we're going to talk about in this series. But gentleness and humility starts with hanging out with him more. Okay. The last thing. We need to practice this with each other. We need to practice this with each other. Um, Here we are in the church. I always remind people, this is the best place to practice our Christian faith. Because if we don't get it down here, we're not gonna get it out there. So practice. When people rub up against you a little wrong, you know, practice. Being humble. Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now I looked around, we're all wearing clothes today. Amen? Amen. We're all wearing clothes. (laughs) And here he says, clothe yourself with humility. So when we go out of the house in the morning, should we 
stop and ask ourselves, are we, are we wearing the clothes that God wants for us? Humility? You know, I was over at the high school ministry on Wednesday night when kind of this whole news about Charles opened up and Charles did it. He actually got up in front of the students and I've been in this situation before myself and he started sharing that he was, you know, going to be leaving them. And wow, it was hard. I saw kids just immediately start to cry. Oh, man. And I know, I know a little bit of the backstory of the discussions and things that have been going on, but I was so proud of him as he just, he had to collect himself a little bit, but then he just went in and started talking about the most important thing in his heart, which was where God really got a hold of him and experience that he had in life, and he just preached the word, and it was so beautiful. It was so humble. It was so other-centered. He could have made it all about himself, and it was just all about Jesus. It was the cross. It was, man. And that's what humble people do. You depend, you trust in God, you wait on God. You know, uh, leaders need to be humble, gentle. Saw that in Charles' life. Um, I, 2 Timothy 2 says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant him repentance, grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. I read an article a couple weeks ago, Christianity Today, uh, about a, a big denominational leader. If I said his name, you might even know who he is. I don't need to say his name. But the board of this organization asked him to step down because even though in public and in front of crowds of thousands of people, he was winsome, he was compelling, he was great, but behind closed doors with people he was working with, he was a tyrant. And then he would seal people to silence. Like, if you ever say anything, I'm going to ruin your career. He was really, I don't, I don't know where he stands with the Lord. Hopefully through repentance, the Lord is bringing healing to him. But the board said, we're not going to have you be the leader of this organization when that's who you are behind closed doors. And I, when I read Timothy, I'm reminded that leaders also need to demonstrate a gentleness about themselves. They're not pugnacious. They're not ready to go fisticuffs. That's not a good leader in the church. Okay, lastly, Anyone who's trying to help another should practice this. You see someone caught in sin? You who are spiritual, restore them gently. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay, well, I came across this. I don't even know where this came from. I would give attribution, but I couldn't find where it came from. But it's entitled Voices of the World, and I close with this. Appetite says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Psychology says, be confident, fulfill yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. God says, be wise, humble yourself. Let's pray. <clears throat>